Welcome to this episode of the Harley Access Network podcast. I'm Helen Leal Green. The Harley Access Network levels the playing field for high achieving, low income Africans to access international higher education opportunities. The series is about conversations between Harley Access Network members, students and friends. Hello everyone, I'm really excited about today's podcast. We've got our interviewee, Joffrey, and my co-presenter, Habiba, who I'd like to introduce you to. Over to you, Joffrey. Thanks very much, Helen. So I am Joffrey Njovu from Zambia, a Pestalozzi alumni and a current student at the University of Edinburgh, studying chemistry. Thanks. And Habiba, do you want to just reintroduce yourselves for those of you who don't know you? Yeah, hi. Hope you had an opportunity to listen to our first podcast, but if you haven't, my name is Habiba Malinga. I am from Uganda. I'm also a Pestalozzi alumni, but I think we have so many years between when I was there and when Jeffrey was there. I am also a recent graduate from the University of California, Berkeley, and I am back to Kampala. Okay, thanks very much, both of you. Right, so if I can start off, um, Joffrey, I was reading your LinkedIn profile and I absolutely love the way you describe yourself as a, I'll, I'll quote you, a calm, reflective, confident and lively, as well as very musical person. Above all, I'm a learner because I believe that besides mine, there are many perspectives. I enjoy intellectual conversations about many things, which sometimes makes me think I have far too many interests for one lifetime. So what an amazing way to, to uh, introduce you, I think. There are two things that I particularly love. Firstly, it's um, the fact that you say that you're a learner, which is something really close to my heart. So I thought maybe you could um, tell me a little bit about what, what it means to you to be a learner. Right, okay. So I think that deserves a whole conversation on its own. But basically, <laughs> Probably. <the thing> is... <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, it's just about, you know, utility. I think learning in and of itself has uh, a lot of value. Yeah. And so that's something that I find I'm really attracted to. And so there are times when I feel like I'm not learning enough. It could be academically or just uh, randomly, you know, in different things that happen around me, um, either in Edinburgh or wherever I am. Uh, when I feel like I'm not learning enough, I tend to be quite bitter to myself somehow. I don't know why, but um, that leads me all the time towards uh, maybe reading or just kind of trying to learn something new all the time, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And so that's something I've just kind of learned to discover. And it's a way in which I deal with a lot of things that happen around me. Yeah. And can you, when did you discover that love of learning? Because the, without wanting to... Um, to be derogatory about the Zambian education system, it doesn't tend to encourage that love of learning. So is it something you learned in Zambia despite it? Or is it something you've gradually learned? I think uh, there's no direct answer to that question, but I think that I agree with you as well. You know, the education system in Zambia, obviously due to many reasons, uh, it, it seems like mm -hmm. you don't get encouraged to, to learn, you know, in general, but rather, you are focused on exams and clearing, going to the next stage and all of that. And so given that that's the case, it's like it's very rare that you find uh, time and opportunity to just go and explore the world pretty much. It's, it's rare that you find that even teachers themselves, I guess, intrinsically, they would like to, 
to do more to help that situation. But it's like they run under tight deadlines. You know, I'm sure you may be aware as well, having worked in education for a long time. But I think that um, I did pick up the, the love for learning, I guess, partly from my high school. So during the latter days of my high school, it turned out that I used to be very high scoring. So I used to be one of the top students uh, in my <laughs> cohort. So almost yeah. all the time uh, you would get students, fellow students coming to you to help them solve questions. And so I had to be on top of things all the time because I got used to that and I didn't like not knowing something. And so okay. I think that's yeah. how I got into the momentum of it all. Uh, but obviously, having moved to a different education system in the UK in 2016, uh, when I came to Pestalozzi, I met different kinds of people. So we were uh, like nine different countries and uh, people from Asia and Africa. And so I got to learn a lot, especially from um, the Asians, because they were the most different uh, to me and to my background as an yeah. African. And so I noticed that they did have this unique uh, kind of love for learning and passion for learning. And... Um, you know, you would find them reading, you would find them discussing uh, about in, in intellectual things and all of that. I think that's how I picked it up, uh, kind of, and also kind of just wanting to justify the opportunities that I've gotten, you know, up to this day in life, mm. you know, to, to kind of use those to improve myself as much as possible and empower myself so, so that I can help other people as well. So that's how. Yeah. I totally feel him on the idea that it's really sometimes hard uh, to access books here. Um, I mean, my primary school barely had a library. <laughs> so, like, there is no room exactly for external reading. There wasn't time where you go and just explore and, like, learn different things. So I just really hear you on that. And for Pestalozzi, I think one of the most shocking things was finding um, other students, especially from Asia, reading, like, huge books like... Uh, Harry Potter books and I'm like how do you have the time or the curiosity for something like that right because I think the extent of my reading had been my literature class and like reading plays and stuff like that so I totally get you on the idea that you have to push yourself to get to being that person who wants to learn personally I learned through films a lot <laughs> So yeah. I substitute I substitute the whole sitting in a chair. I do that sometimes on rainy days with a candle <laughs> when I'm trying to feel fancy. But I watch a lot of, uh, you know, TV shows, mainly political, obviously. Uh, like you mentioned before, I'm very, a little bit political. So it's, it's, it's different. Um, like it, sometimes it's a totally different world when you get to Pestalozzi. I like the idea of what you talked about, about making uh, people from um, the nine different countries and stuff like that. So how is it like in general, like besides the reading aspect, how is it living in a multicultural, multi-faith uh, uh, kind of community for you? And how did that prepare you for Edinburgh in any way? At Pestalozzi that is. It was quite immense. Uh, so whenever I get asked a question that seems like the one you've asked today, uh, I, I always go, go back to my first few days at PESTA. So I came in, uh, I came from a very religious community. And so I was this very uh, religious person. And I read the Bible all the time. I prayed so much. And then the first thing that uh, I encountered uh, really at PESTA was getting a roommate who I think up to this day is like uh, the best person I've, uh, I've met so far in life. And he was a Buddhist guy. And so we are, we are meant to be in the same room. Uh, 
sleeping on two different beds just uh, a few inches away from each other. And so he was also a very devoted uh, Buddhist. And so what used to happen was that uh, he would go in the morning to the shrine to pray. He would make the prayers, read their holy book and all of that, and I would do the same. And so that was one thing that got me thinking. So we get taught uh, in the Bible that, you know, things like patience, uh, joy, and I think about five other things, uh, fruits of the spirit. And so this guy had all of those uh, uh, fruits of the spirit. And so I kept wondering, this guy doesn't believe in Jesus, and I do, but he seems to portray the godly characters. And uh, that took me on a whole spiral of trying to explore kind of like uh, what other people believed. You know, it, it, it opened my mind a lot and it made me more open. So I spoke um, to people from Tibet, uh, people from India, people from Bhutan, I think. I established very close relationships and I think ultimately I was able to embrace the diversity uh, to a degree that it prepared me a lot. So I think uh, I managed to befriend them and at some point I think I got even given a community cohesion cohesion award. So that mm. was great, I think, wow. uh, in recognition of that. So I don't know, just getting out of my own space into other people's spaces and kind of explore you know, the much more to life that exists outside uh, the way I live. I think that was uh, a very, very strong preparation for my time in Edinburgh as well, because at the moment I can meet a person from anywhere and strike a proper conversation and, um, you know, reason beyond all these mm -hmm. cultural, ethnic, uh, religious barriers as well. So that was one very key way that has helped mm -hmm. me a lot as I've uh, and, gone through and my respect journey their in views Edinburgh. as well, I guess. Their views yeah. Because yeah. Um, when you come from a, a very small community and you believe there's only one one right way and then you learn that there are lots of lots of right ways. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, it really does open your mind, doesn't it? Habibo, did you find the same uh, thing? Because you were you were the first Muslim student we'd had at Castellotzi, <laughs> weren't you? Wait, I didn't. I actually did not know that was a fact. Really? Yes. Well, certainly, <laughs> certainly within um, recent times. Yes. Yes. We haven't had a Muslim wow. student. I had no idea. Um, I think it was pretty interesting when uh, I was also a bit lucky that I wasn't the only one at the time that I joined. Mm. Uh, one of the other staff members, yes. uh, Sarah Kadri, was also Muslim and it kind of helped me navigate uh, that space, uh, living as a hijabi in the UK and, you know, just in general, owning up to that. And I think having all these conversations and people asking you all these questions about Islam and what is and what is not, uh, they usually would get really heated conversations uh, because of what everybody believed and, you know, thought what you know Islam was and the curiosities and it's usually really really interesting having those conversations um I think for me going to Berkeley and removing the hijab essentially was a way for me to see okay how do people treat me in another country when I'm not Muslim right versus when I'm Muslim but still kind of have those conversations it was a whole different uh world living as a non-hijabi in the U.S. versus the hijabi in the U.K. uh but I don't know. I, I think I learned a lot uh, being at Pestalozzi from the books we read uh, and uh, just the culture nights, right? I think uh, for me, one of the most influential books in understanding um, a bit of like 
uh, India kind of culturally was the god of small things and understanding the case systems. I don't know whether you still read that or you've read that, uh, Jeffrey, but it's a book that actually opened my eyes a lot to society uh, within India and kind of um, know how to, you know, talk about such topics or like open like my mind to the curiosities of such a world that was totally different from where I came from. Uh, it's kind of, it really did prepare me because the U.S. is very, very diverse. <laughs> and California, I think, is one of the most uh, diverse uh, places ever. I've had uh, so many friends from all over the world. And it kind of helped me prepare for that. Um, being a pestalozzi helped me prepare for that. And I think for me, it was less cultural shock going from pestalozzi to the U.S. compared to all my other friends. I was like, oh, I've, I've, I've lived in a, you know, in a community like this. I know how to participate in conversations that are probably not my own and to listen and all those kind of things. So it really did help uh, navigating a new space in the U.S. Absolutely. I think, sorry, Helen, before you ask your question, uh, Habiba <laughs> said something that was very striking to me, which is that, you know, she spent her time in the UK with the hijab on and then moving later yeah. on to the US and taking it off. I, I'm, interesting, I'm, I'm interested to hear uh, about how, you know, that impacted your friends' perceptions of you, especially the friends from, Zan from back home in Uganda. I think it's really interesting yeah. because uh, that meant a lot for them, I guess. I will, I will actually tell you something funny. I only started wearing the hijab in the UK. Right. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes. Oh, because yes, my, so my question was, partially. my was question was going to be. <laughs> by Sarah. Right. Like, oh my God, she's wearing the hijab and she's a wonderful person. And I think when we kept talking, she's like, okay, you could try this one hijab. And then she bought me a whole set of hijabs. And I was like, okay, I can, you know, explore with all this. Yeah, I, I had such an interesting time because I think once I committed to it, I was like, okay, this is my way of rebelling Islamophobia. Like I didn't care. And I, in a way, I put myself in a situation where I could be discriminated against, I think, and people could say things to me, but I wanted to see what that was like, and I wasn't going to remove my, my hijab because of that. But I think having to do that for two years and then coming back home for two years and keeping up with the hijab thing, which is a totally different experience, by the way, I was like, I don't want to do this in the U.S. because I, feel, I felt, it felt like it was harsher to do that to myself. Uh, knowing what some of the things that happen in the U.S. I don't want to scare Jeffrey if you haven't been there, but it's just, it's just, <laughs> it's just, you know, there is, I, I thought to myself, there are three buttons I would have to carry out. I'm a woman, first of all, that's already a thing that you get pushed up against. I'm a black woman, so that's two. And I'm a hijabi, that's three. And it's like, that's, that was a lot for, I felt like that would be a lot for me. And I wanted to experience my college education a little bit differently and just be free to to be in any kind of room without feeling somebody's thinking something wrong about me or something like that so that was kind of my thought process um removing the hijab but I actually wasn't wearing the hijab before coming to the UK right, okay. <laughs> I don't know whether you saw me Helen the first time we met I actually I was wearing short skirts and all these things I was you I were yes it. I remember I, yeah. I did right I, and my parents never complained about it because I wasn't wearing the hijab before leaving home and my mom wears the hijab and my little sister wears the hijab but it's not something that 
it's mandatory in our house really okay. something that you choose to do so luckily for me uh, I, I didn't feel the <laughs> the pressure to continue with it or to feel like somebody would judge me over it I don't know whether they judge me but I, honestly I, I don't care usually it's like I, I wear it once in a while for festivals and all those things I, it's wonderful I love the hijab I'll probably wear it again when I you know when I finally settle into being in Uganda I don't know we'll see <laughs> It's funny because the question I was going to ask you, Habiba, was what's it been like? What's it been like returning to Uganda and not wearing hijab? But <laughs> if you weren't wearing it in the first place, I don't suppose it made much difference. <laughs> oh, my mom complains about my jeans. Uh, he does. <laughs> Are they ripped as well? <laughs> oh, I'm actually wearing a ripped pair of jeans right now. She's telling you, why, why did you just cut off those threads? I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's lovely um can i go back to um it's going back to to your your linkedin profile the second thing that i wanted to ask you about was that you're famous almost infamous for your involvement in so many things um joffrey um everybody who i who i know who knows you always says oh joffrey's always so busy he's always doing this and always doing that and not only do you do lots of things but you also carry them through um so you're not just sort of very superficially doing these things you see things through to fruition whether it's the podcast series that you've just launched or reading a you know book from cover to cover or whatever it is so what what are some of the things that drive you to to doing doing these things that's a tough question. By the way, I didn't know that I'm famous or infamous. Oh, absolutely. For that. It's quite good to know, you know. <laughs> but actually, I think that um, thinking through that question, I could say that um, it's something I mentioned early on uh, in the conversation, which is that I try by all means to justify why uh, life has been so good to me. Because, for example, I did well um, in my high school. Mm. But how many other people did well? So why did yes. it have to be me who got an opportunity, for example, to get an international education at Pestalozzi and afterwards a MasterCard Foundation scholarship to the University of Edinburgh? There's surely a lot of people that are deserving. Uh, and so for me to be the one to get these opportunities, I need to justify why this is the case. And so mm. trying by all means to utilize the opportunities that come my way to to do whatever I can really to improve myself so that even after I, got, I get an opportunity maybe to go home uh, at some point, I can have something to help my community, you know, in any small way that I can. So that's all that I try to do, really. And also just kind of trying to justify existence, you know. Uh, uh, we, we exist quite miserably as human beings. And so you have to carry a load for you to be able to go through life and find reason for having to wake up every day. <laughs> That makes it sound like it's a burden to wake up every day, but obviously you, you get a lot of joy out of life because of all the things you do. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And also there's this kind of scale in life, which is some people choose to savor life, you know, for what it is, yeah. because it is good. Mm -hmm. uh, you can have fun, you can see the sun, you can do all of those nice things. But, um, you know, at the other end of the scale is wanting to make an impact and some people are more inclined to that. And I don't think that one is better than the other, but I try, I think I lean towards, you know, trying to do something meaningful uh, all the time to improve myself, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Well, moving on, I know that you've started a podcast series um, with the help of MasterCard Foundation, I think at, at Edinburgh University. Um, and I've listened to a few of them. They sound, sound really interesting conversations that you're having with some of the other scholars and finding out a bit more about their impressions of their first impressions of life at Edinburgh University. So what was your inspiration um, to start the podcast? So basically uh, what happened was that the Mastercard Foundation Scholars Programme at Edinburgh uh, was clocking four years uh, since its initiation. And so what was decided was that they wanted a way to create, uh, to document or highlight the contributions of the MCF scholars uh, in Edinburgh uh, mm -hmm. University, but also the wider community. And there was an intern at the time uh, named Sandra from Zimbabwe who uh, thought that one of the ways, uh, actually innovative ways of us trying to do this is by starting a scholar podcast that is going to be run by scholars. And mm. so she was the main person behind the idea. And then she called a couple of students um, uh, to have a meeting and kind of try to flesh out the idea and see how it would be best implemented. And, um, you know, by coincidence, at that time, I had been thinking about finding a way to start a podcast as well. <laughs> and so that was like, well, I'm going to get a lot of prior experience uh, if I get into this project. And so going into it, Kind of I believed in the in the story of the scholars and I feel like we have this rich opportunity because for example in my cohort we were over 30 and we are coming from different places in Africa and we have our own stories and we have you know different ways in which we can inspire each other but also mm -hmm. learn about different countries in Africa but because yeah. of our schedules uh, are different and our courses are different sometimes it's very difficult for us to sit down and have a conversation a proper conversation and so I thought that this would be really that great opportunity where you sit down uh, on a platform that has been made deliberately and have these unscripted conversations and really get to experience each other. Yes. So that was like, uh, that was my, my main motivation. And so uh, going, uh, you know, further down the line, second year was quite hard for me, but I decided to kind of own the podcast idea to myself pretty much and try to do whatever I can, uh, give up uh, whatever time I can. And so, and today, you know, we just launched the fifth episode uh, featuring oh. the principal of the university. I think it was... Uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So that was the idea behind it. It's been a great experience. And I think I've referred to it as the highlight of my year. Um, the oh, corona okay. year. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Um, and Habiba, you've, you've done some podcasts doing as well, or YouTubing and things. What, what sort of <laughs> things have you been involved in? So I wanted to do more of um, a YouTube where I just share my thoughts on certain things. I mean, I just want an outlet for my political views and stuff, uh, especially now that Uganda is going through an election period. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's been a lot of things that are happening. However, I've refused to publish most of this because I am afraid of what could happen. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, there's been a lot of chaos happening uh, within the entire country. There's been primaries for the incumbent party. And um, I think thinking about COVID and whatnot, uh, people have been lining up back to back in terms of voting. It's more of like a count heads off. So people line up in that line to be counted for the vote instead of like a ballot, a secret ballot. I mm -hmm. think it presents a lot of... Um, 
issues in terms of uh, privacy for voters and uh, spread of COVID and just chaos in, in general. And the fact that a lot of people are being brought in to vote and paid to stand in line is kind of chaotic. And there's some ineligible voters, you know, doing the same thing too, because uh, you just line up, you don't even need to be in the register, they just count of people. So it's brought out a lot of questions about the general election in 2021. Um, but the current videos that I have up are mainly about my experience um, moving back home and uh, just thinking about college and reflecting on the things that I did in college. And most of those involve me traveling abroad and uh, participating in different conferences, but also uh, working with different fellows. I, I mean, I'm, I was in a fellowship called the Future Global Leaders uh, Fellowship, and it kind of gave me an opportunity to travel within Europe. Uh, not them sponsoring it, but because they, they flew us to Paris, I had the opportunity to visit other countries and kind of just understand um, in like socially how people think about Africa. It also led me to apply to study abroad in France, uh, despite my, <laughs> my uh, thoughts about France and French people. Um, <laughs> I decided to go study uh, politics in Africa, in France, just to understand their views. And um, also at the time I was writing a topic synopsis for the Buckley Model United Nations uh, conference that I was, um, I was going to have in, in March of this year. So uh, there was two, I, I think we spoke about this in the first podcast or the first series, uh, but, you know, just thinking about how in general, uh, say, Europe relates to Africa, uh, how um, the US relates to Africa, which is not very, very, like, in terms of proximity, in my opinion, there is a, a huge distance uh, when thinking about African issues when you're in the US compared to when you're mm. in Europe. Uh, so it's it's kind of been important for me to take all the learnings and four years that I've been in the in the U in the US and kind of just taking in. Okay, what have I learned, and how do we um, how do we expand certain opportunities, especially for African students to. Uh, use their voices on college campuses to have this very, very uh, essential conversation, the very crucial, thinking about the Africa-China relationship, thinking about governance and, you know, like elections right now, all those issues and how COVID is being uh, talked about in our countries, all these very, very tiny things. I consider myself, I think I just love Africa. I don't want to say, I don't know, I don't know what, I feel like, Pan-Africanist has been a misused word, <laughs> so I don't want to call myself that. I need a new word. Uh, I'm an Afro-optimist, I should say. Oh, I, I love that. In a, yeah, I believe in a great uh, future for Africa because I think we have a lot of wealth and uh, opportunity to change. And if only we can, and, and I think that that's a beautiful thing about Ekasi for me. I don't know. I've been listening to so much of the things, but the idea of getting people to talk about their experiences and all these things, I think it's absolutely brilliant. Happy, but did you want to move on to the next question? Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I don't know, uh, we can't obviously go without mentioning COVID. Um, I, I, I hinted on it with uh, thinking about politics right now. But I wonder, do you think there are any opportunities that have come out of uh, the pandemic, uh, both, you know, where you are in Edinburgh and at home? Do you think there's any positives 
uh, many of us. I, I think that uh, there were some opportunities. So firstly, uh, personally, I got my exams cancelled. I think that was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love <loved> it. <laughs> I can confirm that that's a positive. <laughs> yeah, that was a positive. That was one positive. But uh, on a more serious note, I think that uh, because it was a very difficult time worldwide, uh, there was uh, a lot of unrest amongst people. And all of those things, and I think one of the things that was quite popular uh, or kind of well-publicized was the fact that COVID-19 unearthed these um, kind of inequalities that exist, especially amongst Black communities in places like the UK and the US. And so for me personally, um, I hadn't before, before that time, because I have a very strongly uh, STEM background and so on, I didn't really have a good, very good understanding of social issues. And so when that came, you know, I think it was kind of immediately followed by the uh, BLM movement. And so there was this pressure to react to what was happening. So for me, I believe in, you know, not reacting uh, based on mass hysteria or like what mm. people are saying. And so what I, I started thinking about it, you know, because obviously, uh, like people were expecting me to kind of start confessing some of the racist experiences that I've had uh, during my time in the UK and all of those things. But I didn't actually feel that that was the best way to go, to go about it, just following the crowd. And so I went on this spree for, for knowledge. I watched a couple of documentaries. I, I read a couple of books and I realized that I was learning a lot of things. And I took uh, a course, a summer course on that just kind of reflecting on the things that I was learning through the books and the documentaries. I realized that there were a lot of things to be learned. And so since I didn't have exams, I didn't have to go to school. I decided to dig deep into that. And uh, essentially I felt like, you know, the pressure I was feeling to react was the pressure that a lot of other students or young people, especially in diaspora were feeling as well. So I decided to come up with this kind of uh, a series of conversations um, you know, Afrocentric as well. I thought that, you know, we can kind of um, take advantage of the emotional investments that people would have because of what was happening uh, to learn about Africa, at least in a slightly fact, more factual way rather than just reacting. And so we tapped into that emotional energy of the people and we had a series of discussions about Africa. So things like, you know, economic decolonization or colonization that still happens, uh, the things like, you know, the interplay between religion and uh, politics in Africa, the scramble for Africa, mm -hmm. um, you know, all of those things like slavery and we managed to learn a lot. So it was mainly between, um, you know, students in diaspora who are from Zambia and Zambians back home. And so I think we did that over uh, a period of time and it was very helpful. It was nice to see young people engaging together and responding to this kind of like really difficult time in a, in a very positive and productive way. So that was one opportunity. So for me, it was, you know, that opportunity to innovate, to be creative and, and, and see how much positive impact you can make even out of a very bad situation. Uh, the, the other thing was really just kind of, because um, sometimes it was like the weather is bad in Edinburgh. I was alone in a five people flat. <laughs> and so, you know, you wake up uh, in the morning, you don't have a pressure of exams, so you don't really have much motivation to study. But just that 
that kind of that feeling that you know the world is going to come back to normal at some point and so you need to do some of these things so it made me realize some of my strengths as well you know that ability to do certain things uh, even if i don't feel like doing them especially if i have to do them you know that was really really helpful uh, and the third thing that i could talk about was actually my hope in young people of my age uh, especially the mcf scholars at edinburgh i think we responded very well uh, you know where we decided to come up with discussions and different meetings so in one discussion that scholars set up we were talking about bright price in africa and all of that like really nice things um and you know it was just this inspiring uh, time for me uh, thinking about my generation and having that hope and fortitude that actually we we are headed somewhere better not only in a very like overly optimistic way but actually we are able to take some actions and actually you know kind of on our challenges and our problems and the things that before us all the time. I think um, I, I did think a lot in, in those lines. So I think that was the opportunity. I'm not sure about opportunities back home. Uh, I think the main opportunity or like uh, really something that was amazing was the fact that we didn't have as many cases as, as other places. I think that was, that was really, um, you know, a good thing because I was at some point I was worried for my family because we are like my family needs to go to work for them to eat and all of that so they couldn't afford most of the stipulations that were made uh, i think according to global uh, health best practices so that yeah. was nice to see that uh, we didn't have many cases i think up to now it's still something that i have not really been able to comprehend as well so yeah yeah is it that you don't have many cases or you're not testing enough Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> Is it that you don't have many cases or there's not enough testing kids? That's well, something silly. that I, it's, it's just a random thing. Honestly, I think a lot of uh, countries have claimed that they have more cases because they're testing, aka the US. So there is that. Um, but yeah, what do you think? Do you I think, think it's just the lack of testing for us? Well, that's a factor. Uh, but with what we could do, you know, as our countries and our, our health systems, what we could do. So we managed to test a couple of people, obviously, usually less than 1% of the population. But, you know, we could have seen other signs as well, like, you know, people dying, yeah. as it was speculated, say, you know, we are going to see a lot of people dying. I think at some, at some point, it was like 3 million people are going to die in Africa by the end of 2020. But it hasn't happened yet. And this is midway through yeah. September. And so... I've been thinking maybe it's because we have a relatively younger population, so we Absolutely. may have the disease, but we are asymptomatic most of the time. So I, I don't know. I'm not sure. But the thing is, miraculously, mm-hmm. it turns out that the, you know, the, the severity of the disease doesn't seem to be uh, as much in Africa mm-hmm. as compared to other countries. So. Yes, really for sure. once, for once, you've suffered suffered less. I think. Yeah. I think. Um, I hope. I hope. I hope it stays that way, especially yeah. with all these elections, right? Mm. I think there's something to do with the heat as well. It might be a combination of heat and humidity, um, but then it doesn't explain why South America has been so badly hit because and why India is going through it as well. Yeah. So I'm not. I I don't completely understand, but I think. I think. I understand the issue about testing, but if you remember the sites that we saw of Italy when they first um, were suffering in the, in that northern, the northern towns of Italy, where people were, there were, you know, dead bodies being laid out in the road because they had, they were completely overwhelmed by them. We haven't seen cases like that in, in any parts of Africa as far as I'm aware, and certainly not in Zambia. 
Um, so I think I think you're right. I don't think it has have, been hardly yeah. hit. Mm. It may also have something to do with the. Um, I think we we have a less mobile continent. It's yes, not definitely. Easy. Yeah, it's not as easy to move from one country to another. It's really yeah. expensive. And uh, the burden of transportation usually falls on individuals versus the government. Like yes. right now in Uganda, to travel within Uganda, you have to pay twice the fare to get to any place because the, it's not the, the transportation is not provided by the government. So yeah, it's um I think it's it's, it's a lot of factors happening. Yes, here. and if you then look I, at I South wonder... Africa, that mm-hmm. would that would very... support that because they've suffered badly. But yeah. it's a much more uh, mobile country isn't it yeah it is mm-hmm. it is it yeah. is yeah, um it's, it's i, I was curious hard. about um what you were talking about, about the black lives matter i mean i was in the u.s at the time when you know the peak of it i i actually had to have a conversation in my class and forced my teacher to talk about it because we had a class that summer online and i remember um being so disconnected from class because it, it was a two hour, two and a half hour class. And uh, she had totally not talked about anything that was happening and there were protests across the country. And I think even as a person who's from the US, from, from Uganda, it's, it still felt like these were my people. And I know that it may be a different experience being black in the UK or Scotland versus being black in the US, but it felt as if there was something I had to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I, I had, I, I, I nudged the MCF um, office to organize just a community event where we talked about our experiences and what we thought. And it was interesting how different people thought about, you know, the, the movement. Uh, some were like, no, we have our own issues as Africans. Why should we be participating in this? I thought it was really interesting what you did, Geoffrey, and having those conversations between Zambians in um, in Edinburgh and Zambians back home, because there is also a way that people blindly follow a movement. So it's crucial to understand where you lie in that movement. I mean, being African and Black does not just mean that you understand the struggle of every Black person or the experiences that they have. So it was really, really interesting, right? It was really, really interesting to see what people thought and how people are wearing Black Lives Matter, but they don't talk about things like colonization and what what it means to decolonize yourself, right? (laughs) So I think Mm -hmm. it's, it's it's a pretty interesting time to live in, especially with COVID, and we have all the time to push ourselves to learn more and um, to read and to watch all these documentaries they are very very informative about why people are protesting really and why it's not just you know political it's actually a fight for life for a lot of people right but I thought I thought that was interesting what she did um, with the Zambia so kudos to that <laughs> hopefully our young people here uh, learn something and um, maybe have more conversations about things that are happening on the continent as well. Uh, I would participate internationally. <laughs> right. I think I think we probably need to start wrapping up the um, podcast mm-hmm. now. Um, Habiba, I think you've got some quick fire questions to ask. I have Dylan, quick so fire have questions Geoffrey. for you, Geoffrey. <laughs> I like how you keep coming <laughs> back in. <laughs> um, so, Geoffrey. If you could choose one thing that distinguished your life at Pestalozzi, what would it be? 
I think it would be football, uh, playing football after running a half marathon. <laughs> whoa, whoa, two yeah. things I can't do. <laughs> For me, it was definitely it was definitely running to the bus because there was a there's quite a distance from where I slept and where the bus was stopping. Uh, second question: If you could choose three things that distinguish life at Edinburgh, what would they be? I think I would choose my DIY studio in my room. That's fantastic. Oh my God. Yeah. I need to see uh, some of that. <laughs> <laughs> my kind of uh, unique dance moves at some of the parties. Oh, we should have the video. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit discreet about the videos, but hopefully you can have them at some point. Uh, <laughs> and also, I think my 3 a.m. sessions at the library. 3 a.m.? Wow. Yeah. Wow. I didn't. Mm. I did not miss being in the library at three a.m. <laughs> had a lot of those. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, what are you looking forward to the most thing into your third year? I think I'm looking forward to be drilled. I know it's going to be like very hard, and I've been won several times. So I'm looking forward to that, to the hardships, and then hopefully the growth that is going to come out of it. An interesting person. Who looks forward to being drilled? (laughs) (laughs) Um, As an avid reader, what are your two favorite books that you would recommend uh, if you have a novel and a nonfiction one? That would be great. Okay, I tend to read a lot of nonfiction books, but I think as far as I can go uh, on a a novel, I could say Things Fall Apart. Chinua Achebe. Achebe. That was fantastic. And I think it was the first book I ever read cover to cover. And then nonfiction, I would say, Up From Slavery. It's a great book by uh, a man called Booker T. Washington, who was one of the pioneers of education and unification of the races uh, in the US and the South uh, back in the day in the, I think he was born in the 19th century and died mm-hmm. early in the 20th century. So he talks a lot about how, you know, we should orient ourselves uh, in order to try and fight uh, whatever discriminations that happen. And one of the most striking things that he talked about was that uh, in, in trying to prove that the black man is equal to every other race in the world, uh, we should not um, show his oppressors the things that he is going to do, but we should rather show them the house that he has already built. And he stressed the importance of uh, trying us as black people, improving ourselves as much as possible to a level that we become indispensable because humans have uh, a natural tendency to reward merit wherever it's coming from. So that was a great book. I finished it recently. So I strongly recommend that one. Interesting. Well, thank you. Thank you both for a really lively and interesting um, discussion. I've really enjoyed it and learned a lot. I feel I always feel very uplifted and inspired when I speak to young people who are doing all these great things and and so happy to know people like yourselves. Um, So thank you very much. Thanks very much, Helen. It was nice to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. If you want to know more about Harley Access Network, then please follow us on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, or visit our website www.harleyaccess.org. Thank you for listening and please tune in again for our fortnightly episodes.
Bye bye.